The views and opinions expressed by the guests of the Diplosport podcast do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of any agency of the United States government or any organization, public or private. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the first Diplosport podcast of 2017. I'm thrilled to welcome today's guest, Carrie McCoy who I grew up watching when I was a young wrestler on Long Island, and he was a state champ out of Longwood High School, the legendary Longwood High School. He went on to win a couple national championships at Penn State. He also was a two-time Olympian for uh, the freestyle national team, and he's currently the head wrestling coach at the University of Maryland. Great story, a uh, lot of international intrigue in his wrestling career, and it was a lot of fun to sit with him and talk with him in his office up there in College Park. So with that, I'll turn things over to my interview with Kerry McCoy. My name is Kerry McCoy. I'm the head wrestling coach at the University of Maryland. And, um, you know, normally when I do these interviews, I, uh, I go back, you know, in, into your early history. Mm -hmm. But there is a wonderful article written about you when they did the top 20 Suffolk County athletes of all time that it would be an injustice to kind of rehash that. So I'll, I'll make sure that I link to that article in, okay. in the notes. But I mean, it, it literally goes through everything. And we'll touch on some of the highlights. But yep. like, you know, you wrestling John Daigle your junior year in the state finals, they, they can go read yeah, yeah, read yeah. about that in, in the yeah. article there. But, uh, what I do want to start with is uh, where, where are you from originally? I grew up in Middle Island, New York. Mm -hmm. So um, about an hour and a half from New York City. Now, I, I'm a Nassau County boy yep. myself. And when I was growing up, there, uh, you were a little bit older than me, but there, there was this legendary high school wrestling rivalry out on Eastern Long Island, mm -hmm. Sachem and Longwood. Yep, yep. And I'd say Longwood. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but it, you know, and it's interesting. You're from Middle Island. There's yep. there's no such thing as Middle Island High School. Yeah, right. And you guys, where back in Nassau, every town had its own high school. Okay, yeah. You guys had. I mean, how many kids were in your graduating class? Uh, I think we ended up graduating 555. Um, we had uh, almost 2,000 kids in our school. So, yeah, it was a combination. Middle Island, Coram, Ridge. Um, we even had some guys that were on the border between Shoreham, Wading River, and William Floyd that, you know, one house over goes to Shoreham, one house over goes to Longwood, and vice versa. So um, Shirley was there. Like there was, It was such a big school district, so we had a lot of people there. Now, uh, you first got into wrestling as a seventh grader, mm -hmm. right? How, how did you find the sport? Uh, well, I, I would say the sport found me, uh -huh. you know, I was, uh, one of the, a re very active kid, you know, like to play basketball and run around and play in the woods and, mm -hmm. you know, things like that as kids do. And seventh grade was the first year that organized sports in my school. And I, I, I wanted to be a basketball player. I wanted, you know, that's what we did every day, every, every weekend play basketball. Mm -hmm. and, um, but they didn't have a team for, for seventh graders. Uh -huh. So, um, I had a friend, longtime friend of mine that, Hey, said, why don't you try and wrestle? And I thought, you know, okay, I, I see it on TV, you know, I know, you know, Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Snuffy, all those sure, guys. Yeah. So that's what I thought it was. And, um, you know, that first day of practice showed up and it wasn't, it, was it wasn't that. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the rest is history. What made Longwood such a powerful team? I mean, I mean you guys had, and, and one of the things I want to ask you about is Razan Pfeiffer. Yeah. I, I mean, that guy, I mean, this is a pre YouTube, pre internet yeah, era. Yeah, so, yeah. so, you know, you'd get a wrestling USA magazine or you'd see, you'd read yeah, an article yeah. in by Greg Sarah and Newsday about these guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was it that made you guys such a special team? Well, it was coaching, uh -huh. number one. Um, Mike Picozzi. Mike Picozzi was, uh, was a varsity coach. Uh, Paul and Franco was, uh, one of the junior high coaches, Ethan Prifty, Vinny Altabrando, uh, Jim Matias. I mean, we had 
such great coaches that, you know, and, and they weren't just coaches. They were, they were like fathers, you know, <laughs> and, um, they really took care. They, they really cared about the team. They cared about the program. I mean, whatever needed to be, whether it was having somebody when one of the coaches wanted to come pick you up to bring you to practice if your parents couldn't do it or on a weekend tournament, if you couldn't get there, the coaches would drive you to the tournament. So, um, that was the biggest thing. The second thing I would say is that the extension of that is the family structure. Every kid, every parent that was involved with the program, they, they gave whatever they could as much as they could to make sure. So again, same thing, rides to tournaments. If, if on a weekend, you know, if somebody's parents are going to be out of town and, you know, someone's going to be able to get to a tournament, guys would say, Hey, you know, you can stay at my house and my parents will take you or, you know, same type of deal. And, you know, there was never a shortage of having someone there to support you. And the last thing, and, you know, arguably the most important thing with those two things combined was, was the partners. I mean, we had, we had great guys that were, that were just hardworking. They would put everything into it. And, you know, it it was, it was really easy to be successful when you had a lot of successful people and hardworking people around you. Mm-hmm. So it was just, and we expected to win because of that combination of those things. And you guys wrestled year round too, mm-hmm. right? I, I mean, this was, and, and this was late eighties, early nineties yeah, where, yeah. but, uh, I mean, you had exposure in, in freestyle and Greco also, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I started wrestling seventh grade and it was year round from seventh grade. There was, yeah. there was no, now again, I, I ran track and, and wrestled in seventh grade, ran track, played football and wrestled in eighth grade. Ninth grade, played football and wrestled. Um, you know, so there were other things going on, but wrestling took priority. And, you know, if it was track practice, well, after track practice, we'd go over, we'd get a workout in. You know, if it was football practice, we'd get in afterwards and, you know, guys are going to lift, we'd lift and go drill. So it was just all about immersion into, into wrestling. Now, uh, with your summer wrestling, you had, you actually got, to leave Middle Island, New York, and, and see the world, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Maybe you could talk a little bit about some of your international experiences as a teenager. Yeah, yeah. So when I was uh, 16 as a sophomore, I um, I wrestled in the Cadet World Championships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's ironic because I lost in the Cadet National Finals. So I was second, and the number one guy, first place guy, didn't want to go or couldn't go or something. So um, so I got a chance to go to the World Championships, and I ended up it was in Sambathy, Hungary, and I ended up finishing second, won a silver medal there, and... Um, you know, it was kind of, I, I joke about it because of the string of second places that it had, you know, sophomore year, I was second at the cadet nationals. I was second at the cadet world and I came back. Um, I ended up being second in the state that year. And, um, you know, it was like one of those things where I was like, am I ever going to win a big tournament? But, um, it, it was a springboard off of that. And then my junior year, we went to a tour de monde, which is a USA wrestling program they had. It was international exchange. And, you know, I got to go to Russia for 15 days. Wow. And, um, what city? We were in Kresnyarsk, uh, Siberia for, for 12 days. And then, um, we were in Moscow for three days. So it was, uh, the opportunity to do that was, was pretty good. Um, and then my senior year, we got to, I was on the junior world team in, uh, Cali, Colombia, uh-huh. wrestling junior world championship. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I got quite a bit of, of international competition, international experience, um, in those three years in high school. Mm-hmm. And what, what was that like? I mean, it, I mean, you're talking from seventh grade being 13 years old, you know, and, and I mean, I, I know I, rarely even went in the city yeah, from Long yeah, Island, yeah. much less to uh, Kresnyarsk, Russia yeah, or Cali, yeah. Colombia. Yeah, it, it was pretty amazing, you know, when I think about it. And one thing I've been very fortunate is that people around me, things that were pretty cool to do were almost not expected, but like when you did some, when you made a world championship team, when you made an, like, that's what your goals were. You know, when I was in ninth grade or when I was in Eighth grade, Nick Hall was in ninth grade. He was one of my workout partners. He made the cadet world team mm-hmm. and, it, and the world champions were in Warrensburg, Missouri, which I've been a place. So, you know, but he was on <laughs> wow. the team. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I had exposure. I saw this guy 
you know, my second year in wrestling, one of my teammates was wrestling in a world championship. And it's like, that's what we do here. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. when they're state ranked, when they're national ranked, when all, you know, that's what our guys are doing. So it was like, when you do it, it yeah, it's, it's awesome. But that's what our expectation, when you wrestle in that program, like you saw people that were achieving at the highest level and that's what you would expect to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, knowing that those opportunities existed and my coaches and my teammates and my workout partners were all able to help push us so we can get those. That's, that's really what it was. But then when you sit back and now you look back and say, yeah, it's 16 years old, 17 years old, you know, going international. I mean, there are some people now at, you know, 30, 40 years that have never left the country. Right. There are some people that maybe have never left their region, mm-hmm. you know, at 34. And I, at 16, 17, 18 years old, I'd been out of the country three times. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd been to training camps at the Olympic training center three or four times by the time I graduated high school in Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. um, you know, traveling mostly around the East Coast, but, you know, had a couple of tournaments where we go, like I said, to Missouri for the Canadian <laughs> Nationals, for Iowa for the for the Junior Nationals, Minnesota for the Junior Nationals. So, you know, by the time I graduated high school, I'd seen a bunch of states, I've seen a bunch of countries, and it was all in the foundation of wrestling, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that, that's incredible. And when, when I hear you talk, I think of the word culture, right? Um, I think of the culture in the wrestling room there mm-hmm. uh, at Longwood, and then I think of your exposure to other cultures around the world. Yeah, yeah. So kind of let's break this up into two parts. You know, what made Mike Picozzi, it's a, it, it, are there lessons that you take from him that you apply even today as, as the head coach here at Maryland? Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the biggest things – that I got from Coach Picozzi was repetition. You know, um, it's, it's a hard thing now to really instill in, into a lot of, cause a lot of guys are so caught up in learning moves, learning moves, learning moves. And it's great. You know, the more moves you learn, the, the you know, the more things you have in your toolbox. But I mean, it was literally five or six moves that we would do. We'd come in, we drill, you know, single leg finishing on the feet, <coughs> single leg on the bottom, high crotch crack down. You know, we would do six or seven moves and it would just be every day we'd come in and drill it, drill it, drill it. And um I think that's really what was the biggest thing. And through my entire career, I would, you know, I had a, a few different techniques, but it was, you know, one or two things that you know you can hit on everybody. And that was probably the biggest thing that I learned from him. The second thing, like I said, is it's him being able, willing and able to do anything for his athletes. Um, that's something that I definitely take into now. Uh, but he was also very tough on us, but he was fair. You know, mm-hmm. he wouldn't let us, he wouldn't let us accept less than giving our all. You know, everybody expected to be perfect. So, you know, if your drill was off, he, okay, we're going to do this one again. You know, all right, you got to get five good ones. If they were four, reset. So, um, high standard, but also afterwards coming in and putting your arm around saying, Hey, listen, this is, this is good stuff. So I think those are things that I try to take from him into uh, into what I do today. I should have done my homework. Um, I know he was back coaching at Whitman at least a couple of years. Is he still in the game at all? He's, he's out right uh, now. He actually just last year, he was inducted into the New York State Hall of Fame, uh-huh. um, Coaches Hall of Fame um, at the state tournament. So he was helping out up at a couple of schools at upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's he was in and out of coaching now. Um, he's got three kids right now and they're late high school, early college age. So, you know, getting to spend time with them. And he goes in and he rolls around with a couple of, of the club teams <coughs> up, up state New York. But yeah, he's been, uh, he's been out of coaching for a couple of years mm-hmm. in a, in official capacity. But now the other side of the culture coin, you getting to go to the middle of Russia for two weeks. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. think about that. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, that's a, a lot more than just going to, sure, you go down to Cali, Colombia, you need your passport and everything like that, but you're not getting an immersion. But, but for two weeks, I presume you're wrestling with Russian kids your age. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What, what was that like? So it, I mean, again, the, the program was called Tour de Monde and it was a true cultural exchange. And, sure. and I don't even, I don't know if you would even be able to do those things with the, the climate of the 
way, you know, the world is right now. Mm-hmm. But we went over there, um, about 15 or 20 of us and from all over the states, from right? all over, the, yeah, all over the country. Not, not just Long Island, yep, but yep. okay. And, um, we stayed in host with host families. Wow. So it wasn't like the team went together and everybody stayed in the, in yep. the hotel. Like, you got separated. You know, I stayed with some guy over here and they stayed with some guy. And I'm sure there was a screening process involved, but I hope so. You you imagine, you know, sending a a 15, 16, 70 year old kid over to Russia and Mm -hmm. have him stay with a complete stranger, Mm -hmm. you know, for two weeks. And it was, we go to train together. And then after training, you'd go and you'd go back to, you know, the host family. And some were with families, you know, where they had multiple kids. Some were with, you know, just one, two people. So everybody had a different experience. And, the, the language barrier exists, you know, they weren't sure. like they were fluent in English. And so it was just a really unique opportunity to experience a, a different culture. And, you know, most of them were connected. Most of the families were connected. So sometimes, you know, for two weeks, we're talking 14 days. So we would do things as a team. So everybody would, the families would come together, you know, and get together before training or after training or, but it was, it was really a, a pretty unique experience that not many people get to, to do. And um, so, yeah, so that cultural piece was, was really incredible. And then, the last three days we were in Moscow together at the, you know, training center in Moscow. And then, so to have all these, you know, we, we traveled together, we got over there and, um, you know, train separated for living. And then we got back together and it was just an unbelievable the way that, Hey, well, what would you do at your place? And, you know, what were they there? What was dinner like at, at that yeah. house? And, you know, this guy, he was up late all night watching TV and <laughs> this guy went to bed at eight o'clock and these kids, you know, they wanted to keep playing. And so everybody had, like I said, that true cultural experience, but we got to get together and kind of debrief after the 12 days of, you know, separation. And then we got together and trained together and then we, and then we headed out, which was, was pretty cool. Um, you know, the, the one thing that, that really sticks out about that experience, we were on the last flight out of Russia. Um, this is pre, so, well, pre breakup of the Soviet yeah, Union. Sure. So it was still the Soviet Union back then. Mm-hmm. So we were on the last flight out. And I don't know if you remember back, there was a, a international soccer team that got stuck in in the Soviet Union because that's literally the week after we left was a coup when oh sure with yeah. Yeltsin and yeah. yeah so we were on and and we remember coming through the airport passing the team the soccer team and they were going out in as we were we were going out and and they got stuck over there because of the so it was like we were one of the last international tours in the Soviet Union um, you wow. know before they broke up so it was pretty crazy when you that that's one of the things that kind of gets lost. You know, when we talk about the story, because, you know, it, it seems so long ago that, you know, that it was the USSR now, you know, but it, it's pretty crazy to be over in pre, you know, Soviet uh, uh, Russia. Yeah. So you get a little flavor, a little taste of international wrestling and you um, you have to come back and you have business to handle mm-hmm. up at the uh, Onondaga County uh, War Memorial. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and you end up winning one state title, one state title at, yep, at yep. Longwood. Uh, you guys had a pretty good team your senior year, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's funny. Um, personally, I went from having the opportunity my junior to be our school's first state championship champion um, to my senior year end up being our fourth uh-huh. because of weight class order. So sure. in, in 91, uh, myself and Nikki Hall were in the finals. I was at 177. He was at 215. Mm-hmm. And I lost in the finals. Um, and then he won. So he was sure. our school's first state sure. champ. And the next year we had three guys in the state finals mm-hmm. and, um, Dwayne Thompson, John Lange, and I was the last guy. So I ended up being our fourth. <laughs> but yeah, senior year, we were, I think there were three other teams up until that point that had had, uh, three state champs in one year. And, uh, Mephim was one of them. I, I can't remember the other team. 
Um, I used to know it, but a little older now. But <laughs> two other teams had had three state champs in one year, so we were the third team to do it. And um, you know, the state tournament is scored by section, mm-hmm. so you know, section eleven was run away with it. But we would have, we would have been close, just the three of us together uh, of winning the state title solo. So it was a pretty cool experience there. You know, having three state champ, and then John Lange, of course, uh, went on to be three time state champ after um, not even winning counties his yeah. freshman year. Yep. Right? Yep. So. Um, so yeah, we had a pretty special team and, um, and what's, that, what's Dwayne up to nowadays? Dwayne, uh, I think he's back on Long Island working. Oh. Um, you know, he went to school at Morgan State and Morgan State ended up dropping their program. Right. So, um, he just, you know, didn't stick with wrestling. Mm-hmm. And, but we had a pretty, a pretty good run with that, you know, from 91 to 97. You know, I think we won four or five county championships. We had multiple state champions, you know, <laughs> and, um, it was a pretty good run, pretty good time for Longwood wrestling. Yeah. A, a couple things about that. One is when you won it, you were the New York State champion yeah, at one class. 177. Yeah, so what yeah. do you think about them breaking up into two classes? Um, I, I like the idea of having multiple people qualify for the state tournament, but I, I think one division is, um, you know, it, it's, it's more pure, but I understand the idea of some of the smaller schools that don't have the resource to compete against the bigger schools. But you get a guy like a Troy Nickerson, who was a small school kid, you know, for him, he can compete with the, the big schools. Right. You know, Nick Piccinini was the last guy and, you know, the guys that are graduating this year with, you know, Yanni Diakmahalis, those sure. type of guys, they can compete in, in a full one division. Mm-hmm. But I guess it, it, it helps with the opportunity. Cause one thing we used to talk about, you could be the best kid in New York state back when we were wrestling. You could be the best, the second best kid in the state, but you're losing your counties and you don't have an opportunity. So now at least the small schools and the second and third, fourth place guys have an opportunity to go out there and place in the state tournament to get some recognition, mm-hmm. you know, and potentially change their, their their path because being a state finalist a state runner-up state third placer in new york you know back with one state was pretty impressive but you had you might be third but you may not be the third best guy in the state because you know the number two guy from section 11 section 8 section 5 section 4 you know that number two guy doesn't have a chance to compete so now those guys are competing and then now you split into other divisions so you could have a, a small school state champ so Get that exposure and, you know, get those opportunities to go out and, and, and be viewed and, and, and recruited by some of the coaches that, you know, before you'd only see one guy, 13 seconds or 13 people right. in a weight class. Now, you know, each weight class, I think, has 18, 16 guys mm-hmm. in a bracket and, you know, two divisions. So it really helps get more exposure from the, the level of wrestling that we have in the state. But yeah, it was pretty nice to be, uh, just the only, only state <laughs> champ there. Yeah. But, you know, I know there's a lot of second place. It is ironic. Nikki Hall's junior year. He won the counties, but his mom passed away right before the state tournament. So uh-huh. he, um, he didn't wrestle. And the guy that took second ended up winning a state title. You know, it, that just shows that the strength. The yeah. yeah. You know, something. and there's a guy, you know, the guy that lost to Jesse Jansen every year in the, in the county finals. That guy was pretty good, yeah. but you know, he didn't have a chance. So it's, it's good that more opportunity, um, for guys to place exists. And if I have, I don't know if I, if I have this wrong, I'll cut it out, but didn't Pfeiffer lose to Brian Fishnick in yep. the county, in like overtime in yep. county finals? Yep. And then Fishnick teched his way through the state yeah, tournament? He dominated the yeah. state tournament, yeah. And R- Rasan was a seventh grader, uh-huh. um, you know, and it, it was pretty, pretty amazing what he was able to do. Um, you know, again, just that, that, that run of, of stars that we had yep. and you know, end up going on winning two state titles. Should have been a three time state champ. He was, uh, I, I think the story was he was winning, he was winning, um, by a point, but he had misread the score uh-huh. with like 10 seconds left and he, and he, he was on top. And I think he cut the guy to, to try. He thought he was losing, so he had to cut him and take him down. And he cut him, went in overtime. I think he lost in overtime, uh-huh. something like that. But he would have been a three time state champ as well. But, uh-huh. um, yeah, he was pretty impressive. 
Yeah, yeah, and th- there was always the mystique of the Longwood guys. Like I was saying before, this was before you can go on Flow Wrestling yeah, or stuff yeah, like that and yeah. check you guys out. Yeah. So it was. It was nice. We we were really fortunate. We had a dad. Um, Ray Lizzo was on our team, and his dad would videotape every. I mean, he probably has at least five years worth of of dual meets because his son was on the team. Uh, but he even I think he did it a year or two after his son graduated. But that's what you do. And he would videotape yeah. all of our matches, and then we'd go back and review the matches or you know sometimes they go to other teams and watch those so you know we were doing the scouting stuff before you had the the internet uh-huh. stuff so you know those things would be definitely worth some 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 serious money if you can get a hold of some <laughs> of those along with Sachem rivalries and uh you know get some of those matches with Rasan Pfeiffer and you know John Lange okay. back in high school you ended up winning your senior year and then you choose to go to Penn State mm-hmm. how did how did that work out so i was uh i never really looked at wrestling as the next thing I was going to do. It was just kind of something I loved doing and it was, you know, enjoyed it. Then once the recruiting started, I said, okay, you know, it's going to help me to get to where I want to go. Initially, I was looking at Ivy League schools and, you know, opportunity to go to Harvard and Cornell. Um, I looked at Brown. I looked at UPenn. Um, and then as the years started to progress, you know, I said, okay, well, there are some very good academic schools that have, you know, a little bit better wrestling programs historically. And I started looking at schools like Lehigh. Um, and then, you know, some of the other schools, Big Ten schools are starting to come in. I was a big Michigan fan, uh-huh. you know, and I don't really know why, but, um, you know, basketball, you know, I think I like their helmets and football. So I was a big Michigan fan. So um, that was one of the schools. Um, Wisconsin was a school. Andy Ryan came out when he was head coach. He came out to see me. And, um, you know, Penn State was actually at the, the bottom of my list. You know, I had eight schools that I'd narrowed it down to, and Penn State was the eighth school. And... um the way that I kind of got turned on to them was they were recruiting. Uh, Dan Mayo was a star at Sachem High School, mm-hmm. and he had gone to Penn State, and they were recruiting a kid named Jason Kraft, who was at Sachem. And sure, yeah. Jason and I were, were rivals, but we were really good friends. So mm-hmm. um, they came to, along with Sachem match to watch Jason, Penn State, that is. Yeah. They came to watch Jason, and Jason was like, hey, you know, you're coming. Hey, there's another kid, you know, long wow. as you keep, keep your eyes on. And basically, because we were rivals for so long, in the summer we were on the same team, but we were, he's, you know, he was like, it'd be really cool if we can go to school together. So that's kind of how I got turned on to Penn State. They came, they watched him, they watched me, and they started talking, and I was still, okay, yeah, you know, it's a pretty cool <coughs> deal. The one thing that really is kind of funny, um, you know, in New York, all the state schools are, most of them are Division three, Division two schools, yeah. and, you know, um, not very, so when I, when I heard State University of Pennsylvania, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking SUNY Brockport, I'm thinking mm-hmm. SUNY Cortland. So I had no idea. And, you know, one day I was, I was, uh, working, I worked at a sporting goods store and on the radio, they had, you know, going through the college football scores and Penn State beat Cincinnati 81 to nothing. I'm like, hey, this can't be a top pro, you know, this is not top sports. You know, no one scores 81 points in college football. You know, this must be like a community college, like a junior college type deal. And, um, so I had no clue. And then as, as the process started to unfold, you know, the academic schools, the Ivy League schools, the wrestling just wasn't at the level. Um, now UPenn had a great, you know, they had the fox catcher was there. Yep. They had, uh, Dan Chade, who was a national team member, NCAA champ. Um, so they were, they were an, an attractive deal, but I didn't really want to go to school in, in a city. Um, Lehigh was great. Um, they had Matt Rupel, who was a national champ, mm-hmm. um, 190 at the weight class that I was going to compete at. He was going to be a senior. So that was going to be my workout partner. Tom Hutchison was a coach there who had a lot of success. Um, Sergey Belaglazov was around. So I mean, just, but it was just really too small for me. Um, Brown and went, Brown was small. Um, so I had narrowed it down to the, the four schools, five schools that I was going to visit. Um, I visited Lehigh and Brown in the fall mm-hmm. and then had Michigan, Penn State and Cornell in the <coughs> spring. 
Um, and I, uh, I, I went to Michigan the weekend of the NCAA Final Four, and the Fab Five were wow. on campus. So they were freshmen yeah. when yeah. I was a senior. And I had already kind of had my made, mind made up that I was going to go to Michigan, but I had the, it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Michigan, Saturday, Sunday, Monday at Penn State. So I, I left Michigan to go to State College. Uh-huh. I flew from Michigan to State College. So after my Michigan visit, I was set. I was going to Michigan. Yeah. And, um, but I had my, I couldn't cancel my visit because it was the day of. And, um, you know, I remember telling Coach Del Bar, I said, you know, as long as nothing crazy happens at Michigan, I'll be at, I mean, at Penn State, I'll be at Michigan next year. And, and I went there and, what I tell people all the time for my my visit, when I went to Michigan, I felt like I was on a recruiting trip. When I went to Penn State, I felt like I was home. You know, it's where I belong. And and I still didn't make that decision right then and there. But after that week, and I canceled my visit to Cornell because I just said, you know, I don't want to complicate my. You know, I got two great schools. You know, everything is in line. And um, and I just I canceled my visit to Cornell and then took a couple of, of weeks and. Started going to some freestyle competition. Every competition I went to, you know, Penn State had 10, 12, 15 guys competing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that the international making the Olympic team and all that stuff was a goal. So just seeing that was really what solidified it. So between the atmosphere of me being at Penn State, you know, on my visit, I was watching the championship game with, with Michigan. And the, and I was telling, hey, I'm going to Michigan. I'm going to be going to school with these guys <laughs> next year. And the guy's like, yeah, whatever. You know, just, you know, and um, when it all came down to it, it was just a place that I felt like, was going to be the best fit for me so it was an interesting process um but yeah I, you know i think it worked out pretty well yeah yeah it did you won two national championships at penn state you beat some guy steve neal i, I don't know what he ended up doing yeah, with his life but you know successful here or there so. did you ever think about playing pro football or, or did i did it? i did um so when i was at lehigh so i left penn state um after the 2000 season, I was coaching at Lehigh for five years. Mm-hmm. Chuck Bednarik. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Know, Hall of Famer. The last 60-minute man yep. in the NFL. I mean, he was a huge Lehigh support. He'd come to practice weekly. And um, you know, we're, I was trying to work something out to get a tryout because the Eagles trained at Lehigh. And, and he's like, hey, if you ever want, you know, I can talk to Andy Reid, get your tryout. And my focus was wrestling. You know, I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, 2000, he made the Olympic team in 2000. Yep. And after that, it was still still competing. And. Um, and I wasn't ready to switch between wrestling and coaching to go in that way. So, um, yeah, so, but we talked about it a lot. And then right around 2002, 2003 was kind of a, a pivot point for me. Like, well, am I going to keep going and go to 04 or am I going to move on? And, um, at that point when I made the decision to, to go to 04, I was like, hey, there's no way I can, I can try. But it's funny. The, um, my senior year in college, one day we were working out and, and I was going to try and walk on the Penn State's football team. Uh-huh. And, you know, no real skill or anything. I just want to go and see if I could make a team and see what would happen. So one day we we're having a, you know, open workout and, you know, I'm kind of rushing through the workout and just, you know, going through and doing all stuff. And afterwards, I usually stayed after practice for a good bit. And I was kind of rushing through my, and, and Coach Fritz said, hey, what, what's going on? What you? I'm like, nothing. I just got to go. So he goes, what's going on? I think some of the word might have got back to him. I said, well, you know, they're having an open trial to football. I'm going to go over there and see. And he goes, why? Why would you want to do that? I said, well, I just want to see if I can make a team and, you know, give he goes, Kerry, you know you're going to make a team, you know, but then you're going to have to choose. Like, if you make a team, then you have to choose between, you know, spending your time doing your wrestling or, and, um, and I was like, oh, you know, but I, it, it'd be pretty cool, you know, to, to go through that process. And he goes, yeah, but, you know, what do you really want to do? Do you want to, you know, take this wrestling road or do you want to go play football? I said, well, I'm, I'm 100% committed to wrestling. He said, well, there's your why, answer. Why are you going to go try out for football? And I was like, yeah, you're right. But, um, that was kind of the first taste of it. And then, 
um, you know, with Chuck. So, yeah, I thought about it. And then when Steve made the team and, and uh, did so well, then, you know, always comes back to us like, man, that would have been nice. But, but I, I definitely think I made the right decision. Um, you ended up going to the Olympics twice, 2004. Uh, and, and 2000, you took fourth, is fifth, fifth, fifth. Uh, just out of medal contention. Yep, yep. Uh, 2000 games were in Sydney. Yep. Um, did you march in the opening ceremonies? I did. I did. Yeah. What, what was that like? Unbelievable. I mean, I, I've told the story so many times. It's words can't express, you know, the feeling of it. So the best way I can explain it is, you know, for your whole life when you're an athlete, you always think about winning, you know, trying to win, try to win, try to win. And during the opening ceremonies, it's a one time, at least for me, that I felt like it didn't matter if you won or lost, it didn't matter where you're from. It was all these people come together on the Olympic flag under, you know, competition. And then what solidified it, you know, they were pro basketball players. They were, you know, professional tennis players, Venus Serena's Williams, oh, that's uh, right. Tim yeah, Duncan, sure. mm-hmm. you know, world's fastest man, you know, like the track. I mean, there were just all these, the Americans, but we were all there together. And it didn't matter how much was in your bank account. It didn't matter how many, it mattered that you were there representing Team USA. And, and that was something so special. And then, you know, so doing the whole staging process, taking pictures and all, and then walking through the tunnel to go into the arena and, you know, for Michael Jordan, for, you know, some of these athletes, they probably, you know, they experience it every day. So, but for the athletes like us, you know, you, you don't get that experience. So, you know, walk into and you burst into this arena and a hundred thousand people are screaming and flashballs are going off. And it's like, this is not because I'm, you know, a five-time world champ or I'm a, you know, Super Bowl MVP or something. This is because we're here representing our country for the Olympic Games. And the first time coming through it, it was like in that second, you realize that, you know, it's not about the gold medal. It's about everything that you put into the hard work, the dedication, the family commitment, the sacrifices. And that's what it is to represent your country, represent your family, represent your faith under the Olympic flag. So that's what I talk about with the experience of the opening ceremonies. Now, you know, two and a half, three hours later, you go back and say, okay, let's focus on winning a gold medal. But at that point, it's not about winning or losing. It's about everybody coming together as one under the Olympic flag. And, and that's what really brings the Olympics, you know, to such a high level. Because, yeah, you have competition every day in everything you do. Um, but only once in every four years do you get to bring the best the world has to offer under, you know, yeah, it's about competition, but it's about bringing everybody together and, yeah. you know, unity for sport. Um, you, uh, squeezed in, uh, world, uh, you got to the world finals at Madison Square Garden yep, in, yep. in your backyard, which yep. must have been pretty sharp, yeah, uh, yeah. there. Yeah, that was also, I mean, you know, it puts everything in perspective because the world champ was supposed to be in New York in, in 01. Um, so, oh, they had to, yeah. So my, my wrestling career was going to be done in 2000. So my game plan was you know, wrestle through 2000, make the Olympic team, win a gold medal, retire, go back to school, get my MBA, start working and, you know, move on from there. Um, so in 2000, after the, the, the heartbreak of not winning in 2000, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I did everything I could. It wasn't meant to be, you know, it wasn't in God's plan. So, um, well, then they announced the world championships in New York and like, Hey, we need you to come back. We, need you, you know, it's in your home state. We can really play this up marketing and, you know, the rivalry between you and Steven Neal, he's a world champ in 99. You beat him. You're Olympian, you know, we'll play that up. And I was like, I just, it's not what I, you know, not what I'm, I'm ready to move on. And, but I still had that competitive fire in me, you know, chance to wrestle in the, in the world championships at all, let alone in your home state. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, you know, once in a lifetime. Absolutely. So I, um, you know, after a lot of talking with sponsors and, and supporters and coaches stuff, you know, decided to, to come back. 
and you know training was going well i was wrestling i was i was really good feeling good and um you know and this is all about perspective because it's it's not about us but you know you you want to wrestle in the world championship and then 911 and you know i'm training I actually had an injury and i was rehab and i was sitting in the training room at lehigh when you know on the radio and i when you when you're young you grow up you, you know the world war of the worlds the radio right. broadcast yep. and, and that's what i literally i thought it was like a radio show like this is this is unreal like what's going on and you know everybody's got their stories about you know the the 911 and so at that happened i think it was um we were scheduled to go to Colorado for our last training camp on September 16th. Uh-huh. And we we're going to train there from the 16th to the 22nd. Then we're going to go back home and, and then go to New York. The tournament will start on the 26th. So, you know, we're 15 days from the world championships and this happens. And, you know, obviously as, as a, as a human, you know, you're like, this is such a tragedy. This is, you know, what's going on? What's going on with our world though? You know, but as an athlete, you're thinking, what's going to happen with the world championship? Yeah. What, what, what's going on? And we didn't know. And so they postponed it. And then so, you know, you know, they grounded flights for that week and a half, two weeks. So we couldn't get out to Colorado, you know, and I'm, I'm going to get my car and drive to Colorado for training camp. And they're like, no, just stay there. We'll figure it out. So after that, they finally got us out there and we don't know we're going to train and we're just mm-hmm. be prepared. Whenever they tell us, we'll be ready to go. So we went about four weeks of just training with no idea. And during that time, I was like, man, you know, I don't know. Like, I came back to wrestle in New York and now we're not going to wrestle in New York. So maybe it's, you know, it's God's way of telling me that, you know, I should be done wrestling. So, um, you know, came through finally about five weeks after they told us they were going to be in, in, uh, Bulgaria, November 26th. So went from wrestling in, in your home state, you know, Madison Square Garden and, you know, the middle of summer to wrestling in Bulgaria. Sofia, Bulgaria over Thanksgiving. Lovely city, but you know, it's not New York. So, um, you know, and I, and I had to, you know, really think and talk to my coach and say, Hey, do I, you know, I mean, I was going to be done and came back to wrestle in New York and, and decided to wrestle and ended up taking fourth. Um, you know, which wasn't my goal. And, but, um, you know, I was at peace with it. I said, okay, now I'm done. And then, um, you know, usually what they do in wrestling, you kind of have that farewell tool. You wrestle in the world cup. So I was going to wrestle in 2002 World Cup, and there were a couple of medalists there. And I wrestled in World Cup. I won the World Cup, beat a couple of guys, and I um, said, okay, you know, it's fine. And we we're a week and a half, two weeks from the U.S. Nationals. So I'm like, well, I'm wrestling the Nationals. I wrestled. I won the Nationals again. And, okay, I won the Nationals. Well, let's go. Won the trials. And then 2002, the World Championships when I ran. And two weeks before the World Championships, they made the call that we weren't going to go. So again, now I had 01, was supposed to be in New York, didn't, didn't happen. Um, 02 didn't go. So I'm like, really? Like as a boycott? Was that, or? Well, they, we, they had received a realistic threat oh, against okay. our delegation, mm-hmm. um, that if we had gone over there. So, um, and it came from the State Department. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So I just said, you know, okay, it's just really, you know, it's not meant to be. We had an event later on that summer, it was Kurt Angle Classic down in New Orleans, and, um, we wrestled. The world, you know, it was USA against the world. And the guy that took fourth at the world championships that year, I wrestled and I beat him by like eight or nine points or whatever. And, um, so I was still pretty competitive. And then at that point, you know, I said, you know, I'm, I'm 18 months away from the, from the Olympic trials. Um, you know, if I walk away right now, I may have a, a lifetime of regret. Well, then we get the news that New York was hosting in 03. So now I got an opportunity to wrestle in my, my home state, made the finals, lost in overtime and, um, and then made the, the 04 Olympic team. So beating Steve Mako. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Beat him in the nationals. Yeah. And then, um, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty interesting way to get there. But you know, now I look back and say, 
you know, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, I could easily have walked away. And, and again, you know, it sounds funny, you know, being a one-time Olympian is, is an incredible right. thing, yep. you know, but being a world medalist, being a, a, a two-time Olympian, being able to do the things that I was able to do in those next four years. Travel the world. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Did you leave your shoes on the mat? I didn't. Uh-huh. I didn't. You know, when I lost in 04, it was, it was, a it was, I, I'm a very sore loser, you know, and I, I try to teach my kids and, and the guys that wrestle, you it's know, good, you got to be good, more diplo- diplomatic yeah. with it. But hey, good thing you don't do it often. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when I lost and, and it was I lost in the way that I lost and just it was a lot of things going on. So, you know, afterwards, I just I kind of took off off the stage and I went back and I was I was just needed to be alone a little bit. So um, and I and honestly, I didn't I didn't know if I was going to be done, you know, afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it kind of come to grips with it a little bit. But, yeah, it was uh it was a rough, a rough way to finish. So, so technically, I guess I'm not officially retired. I haven't left my shoes on. So I always joke people and say, yeah, I should go to a, go wrestle in another tournament just to, so I don't have to finish my career on a loss. But yeah. Um, couple, uh, last things to, to wrap things up here. I really appreciate your time. One, um, kind of glossed over, but w- what did you study at Penn State? What uh, was marketing was my degree okay. in marketing. And that's yep. why you were at least considering going for an yeah, MBA. Yeah, yep, yep. That's the thought process MBA. What drove you to be a coach? So after my sophomore year, when I won, uh, won my first NCAA title, um, you know, we, we had work camps at my freshman year, but after that, you know, I got a lot more attention, you know, a lot of people, Hey, can you come do this camp? And, and just working with people from all over, um, you know, as a freshman, you just kind of do the Penn State camps and you're there and, you know, it's like, Hey, you're hoping guys. But when I got to go to camps all over the country and talk to, and just realize how much of an impact you can have in that capacity of teaching wrestling. That's when it kind of sparked it. But I, you know, I didn't think that I was going to make a career out of it, but I just enjoyed working with and helping. And then, um, through the years, as I, you know, did more camps and got through. And then when I got done, when I graduated, I was, uh, you know, to continue to train to get ready for 2000, I was in a, in a coaching role, coaching capacity. So, um, it made sense to just stay with it while I was competing. And then after having that, you know, that desire to want to help and, and contribute and give back and then being able to do it in an official capacity while I was training and competing, it was just an easy transition that, you know, yeah, I'd, I love to go to business school. I love to, you know, work in corporate America, Wall Street, whatever, but. I really had an opportunity as a coach to impact lives on a daily basis. And, um, the one thing that I, I think I've, I've been committed to for my whole, whole life is just try to make things better, you know, have an impact, try to make things better. And, and I think coaching helped me to have that on a daily basis to try to make things better. I don't know if I always did, but that was a goal to make things better. And, um, you know, so that's, that's kind of what steered me in that direction. Now, if I would have won the Olympics, if I would have medaled in the Olympics in 2000, if the world championship weren't in New York and no one, you know, maybe I would have gone a different path, but those extra three or four years of, of competing really helped to solidify that that's what I wanted to do. So, um, again, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, so, you know, just kind of trust in God's plan and know that things are going to happen the way he wants them to. What year did Kale win? Was it 2004 or NTAs? Yeah. Or, he, um, uh, the, the Olympics 04. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Kale won in 04. So we were teammates in 04 and, uh, is he the best wrestler you've been around? In? Um, he's he's up there. I mean, it's it's all about you know it's kind of like the debate between Jordan and, and LeBron. What okay. do you what do you measure on stats? Uh, well, Adam you, Mariano. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if you look at at stats, um, you know, I mean, I, I, had, a, I had the fortune of being Bruce Baumgartner's training partner. Oh wow, okay, you know, okay. and Bruce is, I mean, yeah. medal wise, you know, I mean, he's just you know John Smith winning six straight sure, world sure. titles and just the 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 the, the poise <laughs> and the and the folks that he was able to do that. Um. You know, back then, I mean, Daniel Cormier was a teammate of mine who 
you know, it was unbelievable what he was able to do and just, um, unfortunately not be able to finish the career that, that he, the way he wanted to. But what are the odds that he ends up behind, you know, a once in a generation wrestler yeah. when he's at Oki State, you yeah. know, with, with Kale and then he gets to the UFC yeah, and John yeah. Jones is, yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. But, um, so yeah, I, I've been fortunate to be around some pretty, pretty good guys talent wise and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, credential wise, but, you know, and I, I'll always, I'll always pay homage to Nikki Hall. Um, he was my high school workout oh, partner. He was the guy that, you know, just beat the tar out of me for, for so many years. And he really was the guy that helped me to be better at the younger age. Cause it, it's really easy for those older guys, you know, to say, Oh, well, this, you know, this young guy is not very good. I'm not going to spend much time, but Nikki put so much time in me when I was younger. Um, to really show me what it was. And then him being a world champ mm. when, you know, we were in junior high school and seeing him and all the work that he put into was, was really important. So, um, he, he's definitely one of the best that I've ever been around. And, you know, he had, had a, had an up and down career with injuries, but, um, he <coughs> ended up being an all American. Did he go to Nebraska or he, uh, went to Old Dominion. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, um, so yeah, but he was definitely one of those guys that, that helped me to get to where I am today. Um, how long have you been here at Maryland? This is my ninth <coughs> season. So 0809 was the first year. And you started out as an ACC coach. Yep. Yep. And, then, and now you're back in the Big Ten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny as, uh, I, I told people when we moved. So my freshman year in college at Penn State was the first year Penn State. Oh, sure. Joined the Big Ten. So as an athlete, I was on the first, you know, a transition from conferences and then as a coach, a transition from conference. Um, but you know, both going into the Big Ten. So it's pretty cool to be first time Big Ten athlete and the first time Big Ten coach and, you know, and, and during one's career. So pretty cool transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, what does it mean to the program to, to be in and to the school to be in, in the Big Ten? The Big Ten. Um, it's, it's such an awesome conference. I mean, for wrestling, there's, there's none better. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, but just the idea of the academic and, and athletic opportunities that, that lend itself. The biggest thing that I talked about when the transition was the exposure, um, being able to be on the Big Ten network nine times a year, um, you know, Midlands, Big Ten finals, um, you know, having all those, those matches that are on the Big Ten. So, you know, before and some of the other schools, some of the other conferences have some streaming stuff to have a little bit, but, the, the amount of exposure that the Big Ten Network brings to our, to our school is, is unbelievable. So that's really the biggest thing. And then the level of competition is second to none. You know, you know, you're going to go out there and the third string guy at, at, you know, most Big Ten schools are better than some of the first string guys at, at a lot of other conferences. So, you know, you got to be ready. And the guys that are on our team right now are experiencing, you know, that level of competition. And, you know, they can't just take anything for granted because, you know, oh, well, you know, if we're wrestling Iowa, and their starters out, you know, you're like, oh, well, it's going to, no, it's not going to be an easy match wrestling the backup from Iowa. It's not going to be an easy match wrestling the number two guy from Penn State or Ohio State. So, and we want to build it up. It's not going to be an easy match wrestling the backup from Maryland. And that's what we're doing. So mm-hmm. just raising the level of competition with the exposure is, is really the huge benefit of uh, being in the Big Ten. And speaking of Midlands, your, your fellow Nittany Lion alumni, Dave Taylor, wrestled there last year. Yeah. Maybe that could be your comeback. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we talked about it, um, in, uh, I forgot what year it was, but we, we, we had talked about the 04 team doing a reunion and having us all go back and wrestle at Midlands, you know, myself and Kale and, and Daniel Cormier mm-hmm. and Jamil Kelly, Eric Guerrero, Steven Abbas. I mean, we had a wow. heck of a team in 04. And, wow. You know, we, we thought about it and said, you know, if, if everybody was, was into it, we would do it. But, you know, everybody's in different paths and stuff. But yeah, we talked about that. I think in, in 14, cause it would have been, uh, it would have been, yeah, the 10 year reunion uh-huh. of, of our Olympic team. Uh-huh. And then so. 
Um, you know, and, and Joe Williams, you know, he won 10 Midlands, 10 Guy's straight Midlands monster. titles. So, um, Steven Abbas was a, a monster. So they just, yeah. you know, it's kind of funny when you go through those group of guys and you see what everybody accomplished, you know, you, you, you turn one stat up and, you know, you could be at the top on one day and you could be at the bottom of the other state because there were just so many great athletes in that run. So it was, uh, we had, we had a pretty good, a good group. And then my last question, um, I'm going to turn the mic over. Pardon me. I'm going to turn the mic over to you. Uh, what what kind of athlete is Maryland looking for, and 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 what what's the pitch? Uh, has has joining the Big Ten changed the kind of athlete that you're looking for, and and what can an athlete get out of wrestling here as a terrapin? So the biggest thing um, we want guys that are going to be working hard, that are coachable, that are that are good people. You know, it doesn't it doesn't help if you're the number one kid in the country, but you're not fun to be around. You're not someone that we look forward to. So. Um, that's really the biggest thing. Hard workers, good people, uh, committed to being the best academically and athletically. Um, you know, we, we want, we want nice guys. We want guys that are ready to get tough on the mat. Uh, academic standards are, are, are pretty high here. So you got to be ready for a high level of commitment in the classroom. Um, you know, I, I tell people when we're in the recruiting process that I'm going to be actively involved, not overly involved, but I'm going to be actively involved in your life. So, you know, I want to know who you're hanging out with, who you're spending time with, who you're living with, you know, you have a girlfriend, no girlfriend, what's your major? So um, you have to be willing and, and able to, to deal with a coach that's going to be involved, not someone you're just going to see two hours a day at practice. So, you know, and I don't get overly involved, but I want to know what's going on because we talk in the recruiting process about joining our family and you, you know, being a, you, you have to have that level of commitment. So um, we really focus on that. Being in the Big Ten definitely has helped, you know. Um, if a kid's looking for the Big Ten experience but doesn't want to go to the Midwest, uh-huh. you know, now you have some options, you know, Penn State. Ohio State, Rutgers, Maryland, um, you know, and then you want to go to a, a nicer climate, you know, a little bit further south, better weather. Maryland's a great option, but um, being a great school and in a great location makes a big difference for that for recruiting. But, um, you know, really raises the level if a guy's looking at maybe an EIWA, looking at EWL, looking at ACC and then looking at Maryland as a Big Ten. Um, so, you know, it definitely helps in that capacity. But, you know, we, we've got our work cut out because the Big Ten's no joke. Nope. It's not, you know, it's not, oh, we're now in the Big Ten. Now you're just going to jump. You know, we, we got to work hard and we, we built our way to the top of the ACC. So now we got to build our way to the top of the Big Ten. And, you know, eight out of the last, uh, I think 10 out of the last 12 national championships, you know, eight straight. Um, and, you know, with Penn State winning six and, you know, Ohio State and then Iowa went. So it's just. Well, it, you have great, an Olympic gold medalist that's in, that isn't even a two time national champion in NCAAs in, yeah, in, yeah. in, in the Big Ten right yeah, now. Like, yeah, yeah. That's so crazy. Wow. It's, uh, Just it's to a, show the depth and yep, the level of. Yep. The depth and the, and the, the, the parody is not really there in the, in the, the Big Ten because the top, top is really there in the bottom, but, um, the parody of wrestling overall is growing. So, mm-hmm. you know, we want to take advantage of that. So. Yep. Yeah. Well, great. Hey, Kerry McCoy, thank you very much for your time, and I appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate you coming out. For Kerry McCoy, I'm Morgan O'Brien, and thank you for listening to the Diplo Sport Podcast. If you have the opportunity, follow us on social media. We are at Diplo Sport on Facebook and Twitter. And if you have an opportunity, please feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, and we always appreciate good feedback. Your input and feedback ensures that we continue to get great guests like Kerry. 